0: Welcome to the Petrol Plaza podcast. Where we talk to industry leaders about the hottest topics around fuels, convenience and car wash. Where we look at the service station of today and tomorrow. For this episode of the Petrol Plaza podcast, we're here in Atlanta for the Next Show 2023. We've just been to a fascinating session moderated by Jan Achberger, director of uh, the Energy Transportation Institute. It's great to have you here.
1: Uh, thanks, I have a pleasure to be here again.
0: Um, so, this year we've actually seen the rebranding from the Fuels Institute um, to the Energy Transportation Institute. Can you talk us through what was the you know, thought process behind this?
1: Yeah, this actually came from our board. Um, our board loves what we're doing and they love the research we're doing but they found that they had to explain to people what the Fuels Institute was because their audience, their colleagues, or policy makers assumed it was a petroleum advocacy group <clears throat> and we are far from that. We are all energy all the time and we don't advocate. And so we went through this rebranding process to evaluate what should we become and we settled on, you know what, let's just call us what we always have been. We've always been transportation energy. Fuels was agnostic, it was electricity, it was natural gas, it was petroleum, biofuel it didn't matter to us. So let's just call it that. Let's go ahead and remove all um, confusion. Transportation Energy Institute is a lot of syllables, but it is clear, precise, exactly what we do.
0: From you know all around the world, there's um, public investment is one of the biggest factors around change in, uh, in alternative fuels. In the US, you've had the NEVI program, um, which you know Joe Biden committed billions of dollars Uh, into into this program. So could you give us, you know, what have been some of the biggest (coughs) implications for our sector? And, you know, kind of like what are the big takeaways that we have after a few months of this program?
1: Yeah, so NEVI is gonna invest up to seven and a half billion dollars in alternative fuel corridor investments. Um, So EV charging stations, there's some money allocated for hydrogen refueling corridors and hubs. Um, What that has done is it's got a lot of people's attention and you think about the convenience fuel retailing industry, some who had never thought about EV charging, oh, I need to get me some of that money. You know, here's free money. Um, let me see what I can do to get into it. And the idea behind it is to encourage investment, to make sure that drivers have confidence they can drive across the country and recharge and make it and not be stranded anywhere. Um, it's a great idea, it's a great objective. I think one of the problems is when you throw government money at something, that doesn't already have a business case behind it, you get people wanting to get involved when maybe they shouldn't because they're not ready for it, their market's not ready for it. So <clears throat> EV charging, there's really no money to be made in EV charging today. Eventually there will be. That's the goal. Get to a point where it's a business strategy, um, but by throwing seven billion billion, you get some people in markets where they don't have any EVs, I need to get my share of that money. The problem is the money helps put the chargers in the ground. It's a cost share. I think you still have to put 20% of the cost down. That could be $200,000. You have to put in 600 kilowatts of power. That's more than a grocery store. Um, Not all locations have access to that kind of power. With that kind of power comes utility costs and different types of utility costs that many are not familiar with. You have to pay for that 600 kilowatt capacity. Well, that could cost you $6,000 a month or more. If you don't have enough customers recharging, you can't spread that cost out, that kills your ROI.
0: You make a good point, and obviously there needs to be a business case behind these decisions. We can also see that um, government support is kind of essential in the initial phase Mm -hmm. of these transitions, and I think a very good example is, for example, the hydrogen sector, which would probably never take off unless there was a major commitment. But you can also put players into st- tricky situations. You know, we saw, for example, in, um, in the UK, the first retailers that actually installed uh, EV chargers. They're now stuck with these useless chargers <laughs> that you know, are more expensive to take <laughs> out than actually to install. And uh, that probably went through a government program as well. There's so much talk about, about EV and about fuels, for example, the rebranding of your, of your own uh, institute you know, what would you say the biggest misconceptions when it comes to the um, transport energy industry?
1: There is no such thing as a zero emission vehicle. And we're throwing those terms around and that phrase around in governments around the world, and we are pushing forward on ZEV mandates and combustion engine bans is completely misleading. Just because a vehicle doesn't have a tailpipe does not mean it does not have emissions. We did a study two years ago on the life cycle emissions of different vehicles. Over a 200,000 mile lifetime, a battery electric vehicle is 40% lower carbon emitting than a combustion vehicle, not 100%. And if we continue to support that misnomer that a vehicle without a tailpipe is zero emissions, we're not achieving our carbon reduction objectives at all. We have to look at emissions from the point of material harvesting for vehicles and energy, all the way through the production of final vehicle and the final energy source, to the consumption of that energy and the disposition of the vehicle. If we don't look at that soup to nuts um, lifetime, we're not achieving our objectives. Three quarters of emissions from a combustion vehicle come from the fuel being burned in the vehicle. Three quarters of emissions from an electric vehicle come from the electricity being generated. You cannot substitute zero tailpipe for life cycle emissions reduction. The other thing is, for those who are extremely concerned about climate change, if you think transitioning 1.5 billion global vehicles to a new technology is a solution, we've already lost. It cannot happen fast. We are already at a crunch point in terms of material availability from the production capacity we have in the world to hit the production targets that have been announced. Um, I just think it's time that we have a real discussion. And that's where we're trying to insert some research and some analysis that we are committed to helping the, the market get to lower carbon, zero carbon at some point. But we have to be real. We have to find real solutions we have to reduce carbon from existing vehicles that's not going to be with the electrification we have to reduce carbon from electric generation we have to build infrastructure for new vehicles but there is a a host of options we can be exploring but we're not getting the audience with it if our leaders continue to be committed to something that's not true the zero emission, zero emission vehicle myth hurts progress and I'm all for electric vehicles they're fantastic they're a great tool they're a huge part of our future they're not zero there is no such thing as zero let's work together on multiple options to find out how we get there right get closest to it as we possibly can as fast as we can in a way that provides affordable reliable accessible transportation energy for all communities that's the other big challenge we have if you ask for one You never ask me just for one, because I'm always going to give you three or four or five. If we make transportation so expensive that communities in America throughout the world can't access and afford it, we'll fail. We have to make sure that we raise a standard of living for all communities and give them access to these lower emission technologies. We can't price communities out of the market, and I think that's another big challenge is being overlooked by most stakeholders
0: i feel like the lack of information never helps any you know, serious conversation right and you know you had a very good example today where the actual sales of battery electric vehicles was at seven percent in august of 2023 um, i think there's something like the people believe there was around 20 percent
1: 20 percent of vehicles in operation
0: oh in operation
1: yes yeah. which is about one and a half to two percent
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, do do you feel like even the misconception from consumers can also be damaging uh, in in these cases? Or it can also be negative, where they feel we are at a state that we're we're not, um, and that might hinder investment opportunities, or they may support uh, some decisions above others? And I guess that's why the role of your institute is so important.
1: Yeah, the lack of reliable information is dangerous whether it be policymakers, industry leaders, or consumers, that belief in something that's not true, or that's not wholly true, or that is at best maybe slightly misleading, is dangerous because it leads us to make decisions that may not be the best solution. For example, there are a couple really well-reputed global consulting firms that came out in the last year saying in 2030, half of all light duty vehicles sold in the U.S. will be electric. They didn't say it might be. They didn't say could be given certain circumstances. They didn't say, based upon these assumptions, if everything considers this way, this could happen. No. They said they will be. Statements like that from reputable organizations influence investments and in policy. But it's misleading. In order for that to materialize, so many things have to come together perfectly. That never happens. There's always unseen, unpredictable um, hurdles that need to be overcome. And, but that type of announcement, analysis, design to satisfy the interests of certain stakeholders and the narrative they want to promote, doesn't help. We can say the same about anything. Anytime you are presenting information to support a predetermined perspective, you're damaging our ability to make progress,
0: what you were saying about information, then I think it's um, it's very relevant when it comes to retailers and how they need to invest in money so sixty uh, percent of um, community store owners are single store owners, and um, you know they may struggle to think, should I invest in, e- in an EV charger now? Should I think about renewable natural gas and this is a major decision for their businesses because we're talking about one, two, three, four stores. They could, you know, they could be putting their business at risk by making these investments. You know, what, what would you say to these small retailers? Would you leave the innovation to the big boys, like we saw a pilot uh, today, and then they can follow suit once it seems safer? Or do you think you know, as long as the location is correct, they can make a, uh, the right investment?
1: That's a difficult question because I never want to say leave it to the big boys because then when the time comes right, you may not be prepared to compete. Um, That being said, costs always come down over time. So waiting a little while could reduce the cost of entry. I think the number one thing, however, is never make a decision based upon national or large regional trends. Look at your local market. If you're thinking about getting into the EV charging business, maybe you're being enticed by Nevi grants, as we mentioned before. That's fine. Do your due diligence. Are you seeing EVs driven in your market? Go to your dealerships, your auto dealers. Are they selling electric vehicles? Do they have access to order electric vehicles? Do they have any customers asking for electric vehicles? If the answer is no, chances are timing's not right. So wait until the timing gets better because the biggest danger you have is you install chargers, you incur high utility costs with no customers. And that's a recipe for disaster. Every analysis we've seen, we have a new report in peer review right now that if you don't have enough transactions at your charger, you will, you cannot make money. And so you have to make sure that your timing is right. That being said, if you have an interest in this, call your utility now, because I'm hearing three to four-year backlog on getting power to some sites. Get in the queue so if you want to do this when the timing is right, you are, you're ready to do so with your utility.
0: So much of the focus of the conversations is around uh, EVs when actually and um, the biggest danger to our, to our industry might actually be the um, internal combustion engines and how efficient they're becoming. As uh, mm. somebody said today, you know, if you buy a new vehicle, it's going to be around 20% more efficient than the other one. So there's going to be less trips and less visits to, um, to stores. How should uh, retailers tackle that strategy and you know, what's the danger that, that that's going to bring? Is there going to be a lot more competition? <coughs> and a lot more pressure on, on the place. I feel like you know, if you're a retailer, there's so much pressure coming from every side. Right. It's hard to focus.
1: Yeah, I don't want to be a retailer myself. Um, I prefer just analyzing what's going on. I believe on the fuel demand side, yeah, per capita consumption is going down. Vehicles are more efficient, so the individual customers, that doesn't have to come refuel as often. Fuel has been two-thirds of this industry's sales for a very long time that will likely go down. How are you positioning your store to generate trips that are independent of refueling? Whether it's an efficient vehicle or an electric vehicle, people are going to have to come refuel as often. So how do you get them to your store? What we've heard in the sessions that question has been raised today is food offer. Become part of their day part occurrence. Become part of their um, personal refueling of their body's process. That's, a, that's been a huge trend for this industry since I've been a part of it for more than 20 years. What else can you do? How can you innovate? Um, if you're not making a good food offer, it's probably better not to make one. So you don't want to offer a bad product. So if you're going to go into food, go all in. If not, even if you are, what else can you do to differentiate yourself? The customer is going to still need to buy energy. But they're going to have choices and the number of choices they make are going to be fewer because they don't have to refill as often. How do you make yourself top of the list? How do you reward them for their loyalty? Um, those are key ingredients that the, this industry has to be paying attention to carefully. Even if EVs don't take off, as you said, fuel efficiency will destroy gallons sold and you have to figure out a way to recover trips.
0: We're talking about competition. Mm. I think even when we look at um, at EV, I think there's an interesting move here. Like for example, in Britain, we've seen the case of a uh, grid surf. Um, so there will be clients that probably never actually fueled up at a shell station. You know, those are now going to be like the 1920. And they're going to be the first car, or maybe they'll wait till the 25 right. and they might buy an EV. They might have a negative connotation with the classic oil brands. Right. How much of, you know, do you think there'll be a danger? They'll be like, ah, oh, I should go to this one, that I don't have a negative connotation build. And, you know, do you think the oil brands are doing enough to change that perception?
1: Well, that's a lot of questions in one. <laughs> um, one, yes, the younger customers want to frequent businesses that reflect their own um, ideals, their own priorities. Um, so there is that affinity for companies that reflect what I believe in and we are seeing that already with the convenience industry is younger customers don't necessarily want to go to a store that hasn't done something for the environment Mm -hmm. hasn't done something for the community um... they want to buy clothing from stores and companies and manufacturers that are taking the environment seriously um... the oil companies have a big hill to climb to change their perspective And I think they're making efforts, but it is going to take a very long time. Um, We're seeing the same issue when you try to hire somebody. I've joked about this many times. When I was 16 years old, you pay me. All I asked is how much, when do I start, then I asked what do I do, Mm -hmm. right? Now these guys are going, well, hold on a second. I have questions for you. You're 16 years old, and you're asking me questions about my corporate philosophy and policies and my environmental commitment. It's a completely different world. Um, so I think, you know, all, all companies need to think about their environmental, social, and governance approach, their ESG approach, how they tell their story, how they take credit for the things they're already doing for their communities, how they can amplify and enhance their commitment to society and the communities around them to attract those customers who may be more selective about where they shop. Mm-hmm. You know, aligning with a major oil company is a, is a hurdle you got to overcome. It's probably the best, it could be the best thing for you financially from a supply and uh, profitability standpoint. Okay, how do you communicate to your customers? And I think that is becoming more important, especially you look at trends and societal uh, priorities the last five to ten years. So much more important than it's ever been. And it doesn't mean you have to change who you are, but, man, tell people who you are. Most retailers have a great story to tell, but, man, they do not tell it how do you get out there, how do you tell your customers who you are, what you stand for and get credit for the good things you do for the community
0: and I actually think that in the US it's actually a much easier case to be made because so many of the chains that you have are actually family run Mm -hmm. businesses or started as that and the convenience stores had such a Huge role to play in the in the US compared to Europe, where it's been mostly just purely oil companies. I, just to finish, I wanted to get your opinion on Total Energies, you know, selling their chain in four countries, including Germany, selling all those stations, and saying openly that they're going to focus solely on EV and hydrogen as the future of the business. Obviously, they have other businesses around the world. So, you know, how how do you judge that kind of move by by such a massive player?
1: Okay, I'm not going to judge any company, especially a company that size. They got a lot of smart people making these decisions. They have reasons for why they're doing what they're going to do. When I talk to convenience retailers, I never advise them all or nothing decisions. Conversations this week in this session, you have choices to make, but it's not either or. You need to satisfy your fuel customers and your electricity customers. Um, I believe in moderation is the path to long-term sustainable profits and I've seen companies and organizations make dramatic shifts in their priorities based upon different inputs that's their prerogative clearly they have a reason they've done the modeling they have an idea of what this is going to result in I caution most small companies who don't have those resources to be very cautious about any kind of all-or-nothing decision um, I've heard some recently go, I'm going to pull out all my gas pumps, put in chargers. Okay, how many EVs are in your market? And what kind of throughput in your store are you going to lose by not servicing the combustion engine customer? Hopefully you did that analysis. Um, but I am always cautious about any type of announcement or a decision that is so one-sided.
0: Uh, we, we've spoken a few times and, uh, you know, you, you worry about the, there's so much focus on EV and when we talk about decarbonizing the industry, we should be talking about all methods. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we, we both agree a lot more could be done when it comes to renewable liquid fuels for the next 20,
1: 30 years. Some comments this week, we know the energy transition is going to happen. It's a foregone conclusion. We're going to go all the electric. I disagree. I don't think we're going to go all the electric. There are certain use cases that can't go electric at least not with any technology that i can see coming in the next 20 years Um, that being said we have to reduce carbon whether you think we're facing climate crisis or not we have to reduce carbon it's the right thing to do Um, how do we do it as efficiently and as quickly as possible a ton of carbon emitted today is still here in 200 years Waiting for something to replace emission sources is a failed strategy. It won't work. So we need to bring in new technologies that'll appeal to a lot of customers, and we need to reduce the carbon intensity of the fuels we have. I believe that there's innovation ahead of us. Mm -hmm. What I am most concerned about is policymakers don't want to allow innovation. They've identified, we know the answer, and they're gonna hit that with everything they got. That stifles innovation. We can solve a lot of problems if we let the smart people who have solved problems last hundred years work on these problems. They'll find a solution that's not only effective, but affordable, and that's the magic bullet. And it may not be one solution, it may be several. We need to be open to that. We need to look at performance metrics, not not headlines or stump speech commitments. We need real solutions, and it's time for the grown-ups to take over and really pay attention to what can be done, what will it take to get it done, and let's do it.
0: We're definitely at a fascinating time that um, poses huge challenges for for society, for for businesses, um, uh, and for governments. And obviously there's a lot of misinformation and I can understand why a lot of uh, medium and smaller retailers are very nervous. So, you know, I, I want to say the, the role that the um, Transportation Energy Institute carries out with all their work, and I recommend all our listeners to go and check them out. And, um, you know, we'll continue supporting Javier and John. Thank you very much for sharing uh, your knowledge with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Oscar. I always appreciate it.